You're listening to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast, a comfy, cozy place for private practice introverts, highly sensitive therapists, and solopreneurs who help and heal. This is the place for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. Hello there, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Cindy. Here in episode 69, I continue my conversation with Sarah Brisky Hamrick of Teletherapy with Sarah, where she unveils the 12 signs that you may be an exploited therapist. Now on to our conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm here again with Sarah Brisky Hamrick of Teletherapy with Sarah. She's a licensed professional counselor in Pennsylvania and also a coach for the exploited therapist. So welcome back, Sarah. Thank you, Cindy, for having me back. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed our conversation last week about media capitalism and feelings of failure. So if you haven't uh, listened to that yet, please go back and listen. But today we're going to be talking about ways that you might recognize that you are an exploited therapist. And I think this is something that is, I mean, it's probably always been there, but I think it's much more evident the way things have been going the past few years. Yeah, absolutely. Such a, such a valid point. Um, Thank you for listening folks. I'm so excited to talk about what you can gain from not being exploited by a manager, supervisor, or a boss anymore. And just ways to identify it and also how to be compassionate to yourself about it. Because, you know, as we talked about last week, we are literally only human (laughs) Um, and things may happen to us that we're unhappy with, but there's always an opportunity to learn. Um, So I put this list together because as I mentioned last week, I recently celebrated my first birthday slash anniversary of my private practice. And I was finally feeling brave enough to talk about the uh, nonsense that I dealt with (laughs) at my last job where I was at for three years. Um, and I had a lot of feelings about putting this list together and actually putting it on the internet. You know, a lot yeah. of fears, you know, I've always been a worker. So I've also always been fed this mentality of don't speak out. You'll get in trouble. You'll get fired. Um, you're lucky you have employment. And that wasn't just from my last job. That's from, you know, working in the food <laughs> service industry. And, um, you know, there's always being someone that has uh, had a very either emotional or physically uh, laborious job. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to put this list together for people that are still where I was, you know, last year and overcoming that. Yeah. And with you saying that you were at your, at that job for three years, I mean, that for me would feel like an eternity. I was at my agency job for a year and a half and that, that was enough. The first year, the first two years, I was like, I'm so lucky I (laughs) am getting all these things because of the, because of some things on this list. And, you know, my partner or my husband was periodically saying like, this doesn't sound great. You know, this thing that you said here doesn't sound great. And then eventually I was like, fine, you know, okay, fine. I'll take care of myself. (laughs) All right. So first sign that you may be working at an exploitative group practice is that you're working more hours than you committed. So a lot of folks who go into private practice are maybe working a full-time job already. Maybe they're working a hospital job 40 hours a week or, you know, like I was, or maybe they're doing agency work and they're trying to get into their own private practice. So a lot of times you'll say, yeah, you know, I'll do five hours a week. Mm -hmm. 
sometimes that will happen. And then sometimes they'll say, Hey, you know, this person requested you or they're a great fit or your, your time is available for them. Can you, can you take on one more person? So six mm-hmm. months later, you have 10 people and you're working 40 hours a week. And this is a very mm-hmm. real story. And another real part of that story is that you can be shamed for setting the boundary of mm-hmm. five, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And not being the team player. I'm sure that a lot of these will, whenever you hold boundaries, that can be an accusation that comes at you. And I do know one thought that popped into my head when you were saying that it's so easy when we set boundaries for ourselves, when it's just like, even if we tell ourselves like, oh, just, just one more, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Like when I Mm -hmm. had decided that I wanted to take Fridays off, but then I'm like, well, this is just like one one something on my schedule on Friday, it'll be fine. But once that one thing gets on there, it's like, well, I don't have my Friday off anymore. I might as well add another something to it. 100%. I have a big <laughs> sticky note to the right of me that says no Mondays, no matter what, because Monday <laughs> is a non-clinical day that I do marketing stuff. And I love, I love sitting there, no makeup and just like, you know, having my hair in a messy ponytail and <laughs> violating that by looking nice. It was I was like, this is, I don't need this. Um, mm-hmm. so that's really funny. <laughs> little peek into my uh, thought process. <laughs> All right. So number two is love bombing. Um, and this happens a lot for young clinicians. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, when we're working with it in the clinical sense, in relationships, obviously, honestly, this also happens in religious groups and even cults as well. Taking in people that are, you know, young or inexperienced or are really in need of help are met with love bombing, just, you know, constant praise, um, idealization, which we all know what happens after idealization, um, which we'll get to. Um, But just bringing in a young clinician and just really praising them and propping them up, making them feel very reliant on the praise that you're giving them. And then maybe they have a slip up or two, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're not receiving that love and attention anymore um, Mm -hmm. from the supervisor or boss or, you know, even like, um, administrative staff who are also being exploited, but have that mentality of you need to be a team player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes me sick. All right. Next one. Number three is supervision feels like therapy. I have been in so many supervisory relationships where I felt judged for my emotional responses to things. Um and this was not just at my previous job. This has just been in, I mean, this was in my grad school journey as well. And with supervisors at previous jobs where if I did bring something up that I, I was very vulnerable and feeling very nervous about bringing it up. And then I was met with like, you know, essentially like, well, what, you know, what's, what's like wrong with you then that you are having a hard time managing this, or, you know, we don't get that emotional here, you know, save that for, save that for therapy when they're facilitating something that's therapeutic. Yeah. Um, so if I'm bringing up an issue that I have with a client and instead of being met with, okay, let's figure out how to work with this or let's figure out how to refer this client out, I met with, well, what's that bringing up for you that you're having a hard time with it? Mm-hmm. Which is from a supervisory stance, you are supposed to be aware of what's going on with your supervisee, but you're also not supposed to make them feel like they are always the problem if an issue is coming up. Yeah. All right. So number four, you are going to make so much money. (laughs) Ah. 
So this is also something that is said to front of house restaurant employees. <laughs> this was something that was said to me back in 2013 when I was working in Center City, Philadelphia. And this restaurant was opening that I was working in during grad school. You're going to make so much money. <laughs> yeah, but they don't tell you that you need to work 60 hours a week and you need mm-hmm. to say yes to every request to an appointment and you need to have no boundaries. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not wrong, but they're also being very misleading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can make so much money if you sell your soul. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And thankfully we've probably all sold our soul at least once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Incentivized pay, which is just, just, just my favorite incentivized pay, which is used um, by popular online therapy programs uh, right now. BetterHelp being one of the biggest offenders. Um, So this is incentivized pay happens when your employer wants you to work more hours and make the result being that you're going to make more money. So, you know, so maybe say you work 20 clinical hours a week. They're like, okay, great. We'll take only 50% of your pay. Mm -hmm. Work 25 hours. Oh, wonderful. We're only going to take 45%. You want to work 30 hours? Great. You're such a good employee. We're only going to take 40%. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So then if you say, I'm going to work with 40 people a week, they say, that's great. You know, you want to be responsible for the mental health and well-being of 40 people a week. We're only going to take 35% of your pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it not only suggests that people are never working enough if they're not exhausted and overworked, but it suggests that your time is more valuable if you are working more. Yeah. And that does go back to that internalized capitalism. Like the more productive you are, the more worth you have. Absolutely. I I remember bringing something up after like a 40 hour week and I really didn't have those often, but when I did, they were terrible. It was usually like, it was usually like 35 ish, a couple more. And I remember, you know, an old boss saying to me, well, you know, there were a couple of weeks where I was seeing 60 people a week and I survived it. I was like, what? (laughs) In what, in what, in what setting is that an appropriate response? It's not an appropriate response as a parent to a child. It's not Mm -hmm. an appropriate response as a boss to an employee. It's, there's no place where that kind of response is okay. Mm -hmm. Um, That comparison, it's, it's so harmful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Number six, your supervisor cuts your paychecks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if someone is, if someone is making money off of your labor, they are never going to tell you, take some time off, you're burnt out. Yeah. They're never going to do it. And that's really, your supervisor does have that, does have that power and that role of saying like, hey, I can see burnout coming. You know, you have all the signs. But instead, if your supervisor does cut your paychecks, you'll probably be met with, well, you know, how's your self-care going? You know, how am you know, what are you not doing enough of to take care of yourself in this time? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, be very mindful of that. I mean, there's something in our code of ethics as counselors that we can have multiple roles of, of relationships with clients. And that should absolutely be true for your supervisor as well. They should not be in multiple roles with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a very important one having, because sometimes it can be that they're the ones maybe that, um, helps with your schedule or, and that's your supervisor and that you go to for any other concerns that come up. So there can be so many mixed roles in there and it gets really confusing and muddled. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you being the one in the position of non-power, mm-hmm. more confusing. It's, yeah. yeah, it's very difficult to navigate. Um, you're analyzed when you bring up an issue as number seven. So, I mean, this, this one is fun because say you run into an issue with someone in, in admin or you run into an issue with like double booking of a room. So maybe you have, maybe you run into an issue with another therapist at your group practice. Um, therapy's a hard job. You know, stuff is going to come up. But if you are having normal interactions with people and you are having stuff come up, you should not have that stuff held against you. Mm-hmm. So if I if I run into an issue with a with someone at my job and then I'm t- and then I'm asked, well, I mean, you know, what's coming up for you? Are things okay at home? You know, does this remind you of your father? No, mm-hmm. I'm just having a workplace dispute. Handle yeah. it like a handle it like somebody who would be appropriately handling this, not mm-hmm. not staying in that therapist role. Because when you stay in the therapist role, you're actually gaslighting your employee into thinking that their emotional response is invalid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Incorrect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I believe therapy is so helpful, but not every single little thing that happens needs to be a therapy session. You know, it can be Absolutely. like, this is life where, you know, different people working together, things are going to come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. Number eight, you're assigned clients who are not a good fit. So one of my least favorite parts about group private practice is assignment by availability. Mm-hmm. So you're not being assigned clients because you're available at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday or, no, oh, I'm sorry, let's try that again. You're not being assigned clients because you have, you know, great history of working with anxiety and depression and trauma. You're being assigned clients because you're available at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Which by the way, if you're working at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday, <laughs> please be very aware of how slippery that slope is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you, if you are just being, if you're being assigned clients because your time is open, you're being assigned clients that are likely not a good fit and that's okay. It's okay to not be a good fit with every client that comes in your door. It's actually better to not be a good fit because that means you're really good at a couple things. If you were just mediocre at everything that therapists have to cover, you wouldn't be a good therapist. So if you do run into a client that you're a bad fit with, it's really not, it's really not a big deal. It's not, doesn't mean the client's bad. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means the fit is not good. Yeah. And again, so such an achingly human experience. We're not all going to click and that's, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. And next one has a little bit to do with that as well. Number nine, you're pushed out of your scope continuously. So something that's worse than a bad fit is an unsafe fit. So maybe your personality doesn't mesh with the client. Maybe, you know, you don't have some of the, some of the skills to work with them. If you're pushed out of the scope, that means you are unfit to treat them. And it means that you are actually causing them harm. Um, So this was an issue that I did run into in my last private practice where I, I think it was maybe 20 October, 2019. I actually thought about quitting. I was like, I can't. I'm not just going to quit this job. I can't be a therapist because I had two clients that were such poor fits and things were going so poorly. And every time I brought it up to my supervisor, he would just try to like work things out with me and figure out a different treatment approach. And at one point he just said, there's nothing else we can do. You just have to do better. Mm. And I was just like, the, <laughs> you know, thankfully both, both 
both client relationships ended safely. And I was very grateful for that, but I was also very grateful that they were over because Mm -hmm. it was really affecting my mental and physical health. I was thinking about them all the time. And I was also internalizing it because it was my fault that I couldn't just figure this out. When in reality, I was very, very much out of my scope working with both of them. Both yeah. Of clients. Yeah. And especially as a new therapist working in agency settings, you do see a wide variety of issues and you don't really have much control over who it is you see. Um, mm-hmm. Because I you know, worked at a school. So it's like whatever kids go to this school are the ones that, that I work with. And it could be, you know, as a new therapist, trying to support someone with um, an eating disorder, and then the next session, suicidal ideation, and then the next session, substance abuse, and then the next, and I mean, I did my best. I I was fresh out of school. I had my training. I, I, I did feel like I really helped the kids, but there was so much that I was missing and I could have done a better job if I was an expert in all of these like 10 different areas, but that's really impossible even for a very uh, seasoned therapist to, to be really good in all those different areas. Absolutely. And also, I mean, who has the brain space to be able to just be excellently clinically skilled in every single space available? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Number 10 promises are routinely broken, little to no follow through. I mean, so this one was more of a personal, personal experience. I mean, interpersonal experience, just being told that something would be be taken care of and it not being taken care of over and over again. Um, So whether it was help with licensure or help with um, help with things with insurance or whether it was room assignments, therapy room assignments, or whether it was sending an email, you know, something that I needed and anything that can take a little bit of clerical work off of a therapist's plate for the listeners, like, yes, welcome that, please. But if someone says, I'll take care of it, you're like, okay, I can cross that off my list. But then when you learn the next day or a week later that it wasn't taken care of, that can actually really mess things up. I mean, that mm-hmm. can strain relationships with clients, that can strain relationships with other providers that maybe you had paperwork due for. That can strain relationships with admin staff that you were supposed to respond to, but you're maybe someone said they would take care of it for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. The interpersonal stuff is so big and it's so important. Mm-hmm. All right. Number 11 is root, uh, coworkers who leave are trashed. Um, so if someone goes on to something bigger and better, or if someone has a life change, or if somebody just leaves, you know, worst case scenario, because they're actually unhappy <laughs> with the quality of work that's being provided at this group practice. They are put through the ringer after they leave. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very child. I, I witnessed a lot of really childish, and I don't even mean that to be insulting to kids, just very, very infantile behavior towards therapists that were like, you know, did something as offensive as saying, I don't think you're running this practice well mm-hmm. and left. Um, just a, a lot of, I'm, I mean, what's the first, one of the first things we learn is adolescence, right? If they're talking about everyone, they're also talking about you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's where that devaluation piece comes in as well. We were talking about idealization with love bombing, but the devaluation comes in as soon as you, as soon as you express an issue. Yeah. And um, I think along those same lines, I've heard from so many people in agency settings when they leave to go into private practice, being told by their supervisors that private practice is hard. You're not going to make it. You're going to be back here in a few months. You know, even that, um, just this 
I don't know, trying to get them to stay. Maybe it's something with them where they might want to do private practice, but they don't think they can make it in private practice. So they uh, project that onto the people that are leaving. I mean, there can be so many reasons for that, but being anything other than supportive when someone who has worked for the agency for years and put their blood, sweat, and tears into this, and they're wanting to go do something where they can continue growing and not feeling supported. And that is really sad. It's it's really sad. And it's so mean I mean, mm-hmm. just getting down to it. It's so mean. And how do you think those therapists, you know, quote unquote, treat clients who want to move on, who mm-hmm. want to make, who want to make, you know, big, bold decisions? Do you think the therapist is wholly supportive or do you think they're like, eh, you know, I don't think you should really take the risk. I think you're mm-hmm. happy where you are. Yeah. I mean, that has to be, that has to be leaking through that at least a little bit. And that's, mm-hmm. that's very upsetting. Yeah. And not number 12, the most important one, no boundaries, family work cultures where family work hard, play hard, um, you know, and thinking about just the, the verbiage of family that culture mm-hmm. supports very poor boundaries, phone calls, texts, emails sent after hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a text one time from my old supervisor at 10 o'clock on a Friday night asking about something, which I ignored. Uh-huh. And then I got the same text the next day at 10 o'clock <sighs> at night, which I also ignored. And the next morning I just said, let's talk on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> because, because I mean, and again, like not a, not a wildly offensive thing to do. You know, we all kind of get anxious sometimes mm-hmm. and we're like, Hey, I really want this answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Um, back to that sense of urgency that we talked about, yeah. last week. but, but respecting an employee's boundaries, respecting and understanding that your employee is not a crisis counselor and they will not be responding to work crises or client crises if they're not a crisis counselor mm-hmm. and uh, violating that by telling them that they have to, which is not in our code of ethics is mm-hmm. both, um, unkind and unethical. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just thinking about that urgency piece that we talked about last week, that can be so pervasive to where, um, yeah, you do feel like you need that answer right then when in fact you don't, there's, there's just this sense of urgency behind it. And then you are imposing yourself on other people and not respecting their boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the list. I mean, I'm sure that folks uh, folks listening can also think of more indications that you are working in an exploitative group practice, but you know, this is this is why I'm transitioning in or I have transitioned into working with therapists as well in a coaching in a coaching relationship because I feel I have conversations with so many therapists throughout the week that I hear that no, you know, it's not for me because I don't think I'd be good enough at it. Or maybe they've been fed the message that they are not strong enough to go into private practice, or maybe they don't think they'd be able to handle it because work now is already hard. Um, But work now is already hard because you're only making 50% of what you're actually bringing in. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind, those that are listening. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And even thinking because of all the quote unquote support that they're receiving as being part of this agency or this group, Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So why wouldn't it be harder if you're receiving all this support right now, and then you're going out on your own and not going to have any of this support? So of course, in your mind, it can feel like, oh yeah, this is going to be much harder. Yeah. And to just offer some correction for those thoughts, they are thoughts they're, you know, and the feelings with them are valid. But if you're working, if you're charging a rate that is 
that's market price, right? So it's not exploitative and you're actually bringing in the money and you're charging what your time is actually worth, which is, which is, you know, far off from capitalism, Mm -hmm. making folks over consume and exploiting anybody. You have to work 15 hours a week Mm -hmm. clinically and then do, you know, other hours marketing and things like that. But it is, it's better. You're, you are putting less emotional labor out and you're learning how to take care of yourself. It's better, so much better than working 35 or 40 hours a week and having, um, and having clients be assigned to you. It's so much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit more about the work that you do with exploited therapists and how you support them. Yeah. Yeah. So I love it so much. I love, I love helping folks that are that come and just, they, you know, they talk about, you know, everything that you're talking about in your advertisements really speaking to me is similar to with clients. It's really speaking to me. And, you know, I'm just like scared that I'm not going to be able to do it. And I'm, you know, I maybe have some hangups about charging for my full rate because again, this is capitalism both tells us that we need to work hard and produce, but also that our time is not valuable. So we shouldn't be charging for our value, which is, Again, it doesn't make sense. It's, it doesn't make sense. It's very, it's very contradictory. So to go back to what you were asking, I love helping folks that come in just feeling insecure about something that they absolutely have the skills for. So really what I'm doing is just shining a light on the skills they already have and I'm giving them information. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm making it easier because they don't have to do a lot of the stuff on their own. I can just be there to help them out. And I can be somebody that, helps to undo, you know, that internalized stigma that we had talked about. Cause so much of, so much of our identity, especially in the therapy world, therapy world, where there's a lot of, a lot of women, a lot of non-binary and trans folks, and a lot of people of color working. And these are all demographics of people who are told repeatedly, you know, your time is less valuable. Um, mm-hmm. You need to be the helper. You need to be exhausted at the end of the day. You know, you need mm-hmm. to do all this. And I love telling folks that they don't have to do that. <laughs> Yeah. And I love watching the journey from the discomfort and the squirming the mm-hmm. first time I say it to at the end when you're like, fuck, yeah, I can do mm-hmm. this. I can absolutely yes. do this. You're right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a cool thing to watch. Very similar to the clinical experience of watching a client say, you're right. I don't have to go to this family party if I'm not going to mm-hmm. enjoy myself or I don't have to, you know, I recognize that this thought about myself is just a thought and it doesn't dictate how I actually feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're there to support people because sometimes it can just be one other person that is able to show you that you are capable of this and to walk alongside you as you, um, you know, get more and more courage and step out there and realize that, yeah, this is something that I can do. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I fully recognize that I had, I had some privilege in that because I had a partner that was very supportive of it. And that's not something that everybody's working with all the mm-hmm. time. Um, you know, I was, I was lucky to have that support. And I was also lucky to have, you know, other folks just like passively saying like, yeah, do it. It's time. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that's not um, filling that void for people that don't have it is it's just, it's such an honor. <laughs> to be able to be that for other people. Definitely. Yeah. Any, any last thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with about, about this topic? Yeah. Um, again, you know, similar to last week, you're a human being, <laughs> you have value, you are important. And if you don't believe that yet, it's not your fault. You just, it just has to be something that you work towards 
So please, as I listed these things, have you had any thoughts of like, wow, like what's wrong with me that I fell for this? I have this list because I fell for this. <laughs> Most people read this, read this blog post that I put up because they fell for this. Um, we are human beings. We are, we are, you know, we can be a little easy to manipulate and that's because we are, we just want to help and we want to work hard. So there's nothing wrong with you because you were manipulated. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to know that if, again, if you don't believe that yet, it's okay, but there is time to work on that. And you are 100% um, what's the word I'm looking for? We don't have to keep this long pause. <laughs> um, you're, you're allowed to have joy. You're allowed to have pleasure. You're allowed to work a job that you love that also doesn't suffocate you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautifully yeah. said. How nice. can people find out more about you or work with you if they're interested? Yeah. So I offer teletherapy to Pennsylvanians all across our beautiful state. Find me at teletherapywithsarah.com. I'm also on inclusivetherapist.com um, as well as ZenCare for now. Um, I, I put out bi-weekly blog posts for millennials, teaching them mindful life skills and life hacks and just ways to live, just ways to live a little more happy. Um, and yeah, find, find also that page on coaching for the exploitive therapist and check out my packages. And if you want to work with me, reach out. I am here. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today and talking about this very important topic. Of course, Cindy. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. For episode 70, I talk about how to go about being a guest on a podcast. If you haven't yet listened to episode 68, I urge you to do that. In that episode, I began my conversation with Sarah about media, capitalism, and feelings of failure. I'm truly grateful that you choose to join me here for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. For more inspiration and to see what I'm up to, join me over on Instagram at Mountain Practice Journeys. If you're enjoying yourself here, please head over to Apple Podcasts and hit those five stars and I'll be over the moon. And if you'd like to work with me, join me in Forest Mind, my cozy, small group mastermind for private practice introverts, highly sensitive therapists, and solopreneurs who help and heal. May the forest be with you.